Can you hear me? Welcome to Cancer Center Grand Rounds. I'm Jim Sargent. I'm co-director of the Cancer Control Program. And uh, I'm supposed to welcome everyone in the room and those watching remotely. And uh, I'm supposed to tell you, I'm going to do all this right up front so I don't forget. I'm supposed to tell you that Dr. Leventhal doesn't have any financial interests and he reports he's not going to discuss off-label or, or investigational uses of a drug or device. You're not going to talk about e-cigarettes as investigational products? He's not receiving direct payments from e-cigarette companies or any other commercial entity. Um, and the Act V code will be displayed outside after the presentation. Am I supposed to say that too? Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, now for the good part. Um, I'm very excited to uh, be able to in introduce a, a, a great behavioral scientist who we're lucky enough to have here um, yesterday and today. Um, Adam Leventhal is uh, associate professor uh, in the Department of Preventive Medicine at the University of Southern California, but he's also a member of the Cancer Prevention Co Control Program at, now get this, the USC Norris Cancer Center. We're the Norris Cotton Cancer Center at Dartmouth-Hitchcock. This is the USC Norris, Norris yeah. Yeah, Cancer Center, where he runs uh, the Health Emotion and Addiction Lab. He's a California native. He was born in San Diego, grew up in San Diego, uh, went to undergraduate UC Santa Barbara, and uh, did his uh, psychology training in, at University of Texas uh, with some clinical psychology work um, at MD Anderson and a postdoc at Brown. Um, he's been appointed at USC since 2009 and was named associate professor in 2014. And get this, all you young investigators out there, five years, uh, over 150 publications, all right? So um, pay attention to this guy. Um, None of them are good. He's also. He's also won the um, Alan Marlott uh, Award for uh, Distinguished Scientific Early Career and the Jarvik Russell Early Career Award for Distinguished Contribution in the Field of Addiction. He's going to talk to us. Uh, he's going to tell us everything he knows about vaping and cancer burden. Um, we're really happy to have you here, Adam. It's been uh, great so far. I'm looking forward to your talk. Thanks. Thank you. Um, thanks so much, Jim, and thank you for inviting me and doing such a good job connecting me with so many uh, interesting researchers doing interesting uh, studies. It's been wonderful. So, and thank you all for coming uh, to listen to me talk today. So, uh, I am going to talk about vaping, i.e., e-cigarette use. Uh, there's a lot to cover. So, just like the evolving trend and how rapid that is, I'm going to go rapid during this talk. So. Stay with me. Um, first things first, I'm, I just got to give a little background about uh, smoking and the cancer burden um, to set up this agenda. Then uh, I just kind of want to discuss what vaping is. I think everybody knows what it is, but you know, a little bit more detail about the culture and the, uh, uh, the devices and products uh, with vaping I think is important to understand. Then um, I'll move into the meat of the talk, which is about <clears throat> three critical questions that the field needs to address so we can actually understand if and how vaping will affect the cancer burden at a population level and a one-on-one -on -one in terms of working with, uh, with patients. And then I'll talk about some future directions. Okay, so um, I probably don't need to convince you all um, that you know, tobacco is bad, but this is just to remind everybody that it, it's, it continues to be the number one um, preventable factor that accounts for new cancer cases. So I know obesity and diet and energy balance is, is critically important too. Tobacco still is uh, killing a lot of people. I'm not getting uh, my... Okay, there we go. It's like the remote at home and the TV. Um, Okay, and then also, it's not just lung cancer. Um, each, each decade, uh, smoking gets linked to more and more different types of cancers, so we all should care about this, no matter what um, uh, organ site you focus on. Okay, so are, you know, are people still smoking? Probably, maybe one of you in the room is a smoker, maybe none, right? But people still are smoking. Now certainly, um, if you look, this is just national data. Um, I really like this graph. 
But basically, like here's like 1950 and stuff, and this is um, if you watch the show Mad Men, you know, like during their like three martini lunch, they're smoking, and it's just part of like American culture, right? And then we found out like okay, smoking causes cancer and 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 these other diseases. We got the word out. Um, most of those people quit, you know, especially those who found it pretty easy. We see the steep decline. But what you're seeing now is that. You continue uh, while there continues to be a decline. It's it's much flatter, right? So we need to be thinking about new ways to affect the uh, um, the smoking-related cancer burden. So first of all, like we want to understand why. Why? So a little background about why people are still smoking. I'm going to show some pictures. There we go. What, what, what does it all have in common? Well, besides they're all white, but you know. Um, well, they're all smoking, and they have a big smile on their face, don't they? Smoking feels good. It's enjoyable once you get over the uh, cough and nausea and all that stuff with your first uh, cigarette, okay? But um, all right, so how does it work? Basic, basic idea is that you know we have these reward pathways in our brain that are there for evolutionary purposes to make sure that we eat, drink water, and have sex, right? And so what, um, what smoking does is it infiltrates that system. Um, and so this is a diagram about cocaine, but it's you know similar idea basically, is that these, uh, uh, these synapses and neurons that are meant to be stimulated and signal like pleasure, good, do this, um, especially in these kind of uh, midbrain and, and more primitive areas of our brain, um, we want those to be working for, for things we need. But then what happens is drugs like nicotine and cocaine, they do the same thing, but like tenfold, twentyfold. And so it tricks our like primitive brain into thinking like this is really important, this is salient, this is what we need to survive, right? When obviously it's bad for us. So it's it's hard, you know. Um, I can understand why people become addicted to smoking. The, we're wired almost uh, to become to be vulnerable to that. So, <clears throat> in terms of thinking about that, one of the things we got to consider, and we think about nicotine replacement therapies, giving people the patch or the gum and, and all that, right? But so, if you compare, this is just the pharmacokinetics. Um, so nicotine in your blood. You smoke a cigarette. See, it's like this like big jump, and then it goes down. And then these are all these different methods of uh, administering nicotine. So something about like inhaling it, smoking it, gives you that shot. And then um, we know from basic uh, drug abuse psychopharmacology, not only like if you, if you deliver more drug, but the speed at which the drug reaches the brain influences its addiction potential, right? So that's something we need to consider. Second, okay, oh good, I'm glad the GIF is working. Um, so the, the, one of the really, really interesting things about nicotine, because people think like, oh yeah, I tried a cigarette, like it's not like I got super euphoric and high like people do from methamphetamine or cocaine, um, but there's this complex interaction such that when nicotine is on board in your brain, that plus all the different types of uh, stimuli, the sensory experience, those two things synergistically interact. It's really interesting. And if, uh, if you've ever smoked or inhaled something, you know, all sorts of sensations in your, your taste, the stimulations, a little irritation in the airwaves, heat, um, all these things, the act of smoking, which is why I have this guy up here, um, all those things combine, right? And they, pro they provide a very rich stimulus context. That plus the smoking synergistically interact such that together it's a super drug. So the, the delivery of nicotine matters, both in terms of speed and also the, co the combination in terms of like the psychological um, background. Okay, so um, that's why people smoke. So what's vaping? different than smoking, but kind of similar. All right, so uh, this is like a really basic breakdown of what it is. Um, so here's an e-cigarette. Uh, and so, you know, usually there's a mouthpiece that you suck, you can suck the air through. 
there's some heating el element where you can put in your e-juice, the solution, which usually contains nicotine, but not always, right? And then what it does is it, it heats it to a level that causes um, an aerosolization to occur. It doesn't heat it to the point where it burns in their smoke, i.e. combustion. It heats it like to a level right before that. So it creates this gaseous um, compound, which could be good, right? Because it doesn't contain um, smoke. We know smoke has carcinogens and other toxins, right? And you know they're battery powered, so you don't light them. So in the UK, they've done a really good job at tracking this trend. And so this is just uh, one of their national studies. The percent of all adult smokers in Great Britain, right? You can see there's massive increases over the past few years. Um, oh, in, in terms of uh, ever use. Um, and then these are current users. So, you know, quite a bit of them are, are actively using e-cigarettes. Okay, America, right? We're like a lot slower. So the National Health um, Interview Study, the NHIS, we didn't start collecting that data until 2014. And the data didn't come out until, I don't know, a couple months ago. Um, so, but you can see here, amongst all adults, 12% uh, have used. And then you can see it's saturated amongst um, um, the younger populations. And you see the same thing in terms of current use too, but like a lot fewer people. So, you know, it could be picking up steam overall. <coughs> the other thing is it's an unregulated market. So um, the FDA might uh, and likely will take over regulation of e-cigarettes, um, but it hasn't happened yet. And so a lot of companies are taking advantage of this. And this is just an example, you know, the 460 brands of e-cigarettes and counting um, in 2014 paper. So it's probably 4,600 now. So I think this is some a little bit more history. This is this rapid history over the past like a few years. And this is why I use the term vaping, not e-cigarettes, okay? Um, all right, so this is like what e-cigarettes look like and um, when they became popular, like initially introduced to the American market in, in you know, 2010-ish, 2011. And all right, and so this is, this is like an older gentleman and he's smoking and it's you know, to help him stop smoking. It was a substitute for, for smoking. And that was the primary intended purpose. But over time, they look like this now. There's a, uh, you can pick your flavor that you want. And then what we're seeing is teenagers and other young populations who are using this for recreational purposes, not as a, a harm reduction method to get them off of smoking. So here's uh, uh, some... Uh, this is like the English definition of vaping. Um, and, you know, I think one thing that's interesting, so yeah, to inhale the vapor produced by an electronic cigarette or similar device. Here's one, like their example sentence. There's concern that young people maybe take up vaping as a less harmful alternative to smoking. Yeah, there is, right? So I like that. Um, okay, so it's a cultural phenomenon. Um, so you have vape tricks, and I'm going to show you a, a few of those. You have vape shops, you have customizable vaporizers, you have all sorts of e-juice, yummy cloud savers, right? So they're lifesavers. And then it was the year of the word for the Oxford uh, Dictionary in 2014. So let me show you a little video. Hopefully this will work. These are vape tricks. Damn! I specialize in paranormal activity. No, that was dope, man. What's next? Double O's. Hey, there was, there's two. <laughs> A little weak. That guy's not even, that's the first time he vaped. We're gonna do the tornado. Go with your hand, just go up in motion. It's pretty cool, huh? Damn. It's like, I, like, I want to do that. No. Right. Yeah. 
Um, I can probably stop there. So after mm -hmm. vaping all morning, I want to know what it's doing. I think you guys get the idea here. And I've got to reopen this. Huh. I'll try this. I want to make sure that I give you guys the right version. Okay, it's version three. <laughs> I want to make sure it was really good for everybody. So I kept on like doing this version, that. I'm like, hey, I'm not going to have enough time to talk about this, but I cut that out. You guys know. Okay, so thanks for being patient. And man, I'm giving away all my like. <laughs> all right, mental note to trainees don't open and close your. Uh, the presentation. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. So now you know what vaping is. And then I'll tell you a little bit more. Um, all right. So three vital uh, questions. Is it good or bad, right? You kind of have like maybe some ambivalence by now. Um, it's good. It saved lives in the New York Times. Oh, wait. No, it's a gateway to smoking for teens. That's bad. Oh, wait, it actually causes cancer, okay? So we're getting mixed signals. So I'm going to try to give you some scientific evidence and at least give you um, prime you so that you have information about what the key questions are. Okay, so one, do we want to know, does vaping expose the user to carcinogens and other toxins? That's key, right? Um, if it does, then it's not, as, it's not that much better than cigarette smoke. Um, maybe it doesn't. Two, does vaping encourage or discourage smoking reduction? So does it actually help people get off, or do we just get dual users who have multiple types of um, um, tobacco products? And three, is it, is it a diversion? Is it preventing some teens um, from experimenting with the more harmful combustible tobacco products, or is it a gateway? Are teens who never really would have been smokers now being recruited into um, smoking through gate, through um, uh, through, uh, th through vaping. Okay, so uh, here's the first question, right? All right, so this is my um, uh, visual hur heuristic diagram. So you have very toxic, very safe, right? Okay, so that's like mustard gas. So that's on on the end, right? <laughs> There's the uh, combustible cigarettes. You know, maybe this is not to scale, but you guys get the idea, <laughs> right? This is a coal mine, right? So you don't want to be there. Okay, this is like a parking garage. I always think that, like when I go to these big underground parking garages, this can't be safe, right? All right, and this is air, right? But now I need to qualify, right? That's like air in New Hampshire. This is like the air in LA, right? Okay. Um, all right, so, you know, this continuum, right? So, a Public Health England. Um, they say it's 95% safer than smoking. They said this last August, right? So, like on the continuum, it's pretty far to the right. It's like the LA air, basically. Um, it was a bold statement. Um, so here's some data that's starting to accumulate. I, and these are kind of big studies that um, generated reaction. So this was uh, basically a study where they created puffs from a machine and they analyzed the aerosol. Um, and what they found was that um, they could create a situation where if you turn up the battery on the e-cigarette, the e um, you could get levels of formaldehyde that were way higher than cigarettes. And you know, there's almost nothing here um, if you turn the voltage down low. And so that raises concerns, right? And formaldehyde is a, a carcinogen. Okay, then um, a group out of Greece said like, hey, you know, like those, that, that um, experiment that you did um, is not an accurate simulation. Users never do that because if they did, it's like it creates what's called a dry puff. It's, it's really nasty. It would be like smoking your filter of a cigarette. So, you know, stop scaring people away from vaping. And then, okay, so this uh, more recent study came out. There's this uh, type of vaping called direct dripping. Um, that's uh, um, amongst enthusiasts, they'll do it. 
Um, and that creates high temperature, and it's supposed to be, the authors argue that, like it potentially is a good representation of what really, um, uh, you know, vapors who are really into it do. And they found that they, they were able to see aldehydes um, and, and um, uh, you know, clinically significant levels in their vapor. So I don't know what the answer is, right? Um, it, but it's certainly like, it's not, it's not, unequivocally safe, right? So I think it's like it's probably somewhere in that area, right? <laughs> um, and then, yeah, maybe this, well, the, maybe not 95%, maybe this is like 90, I don't know, but who knows? So, but that's like a big uh, issue for the field and for cancer prevention. Okay, does it promote or delay smoking cessation? You know, obviously a third scenario is it has no effect, right? Okay, so, um, there's a lot of cross-sectional studies, and then this is like one of the first two longitudinal studies. This was an observational cohort study where um, they had uh, people who either were vaping um, uh, in the past month, who were not vaping, and then they followed up a year later. And um, this is the percent who had quit a year later. And actually what they found was that people who were vaping were less likely to have quit a year later, right? Oh, that's that's not good. And then, okay, people thought like, hey, well, what kind of study? And the, and the data was collected in like 2011. The technology's changed. Um, the, there's been evolution of the vaporizer. So you have your SIGA-like, right? Then you have your second generation, okay? Then you got your third generation. Then you got your tanks and mods, all right? So um, there are some... Uh, differences amongst all these devices, um, and there's, there's not clear categorization yet, but basically the more high-tech ones potentially could give you more nicotine. And so here's a, a, an example just where the, the, uh, a research team um, at Virginia Commonwealth compared different types of models, and this is the nicotine yield before versus after, and that's a cigarette, and these are different um, vaporizers, and you can see the nicotine change, it's actually equal to um, the, the cigarettes here. And I've seen other reports that they can be higher in certain models in certain settings, right? So a study um, <clears throat> uh, analyzing data from the UK, they said like, hey, well, you know, you can't just like classify people vapors, not vapors. Let's look at the type of device. And so basically what they found was that in comparison to non-vapors, this was actually not a, a longitudinal study, it was cross-sectional. Um, but those who were non-daily SIGA-like uh, users, they were actually less likely than the non-vapors to quit. But then over here, um, those who used on a daily basis one of the higher tech tank models that may be given better nicotine, they were more likely to uh, have quit over the next year. Jeez, you know? Um, sounds like we need a meta-analysis, okay? So, so someone did that, right? Um, so, I mean, it doesn't look like it's far one way or the other. They kind of the concluded in one of the analysis the, that the, overall that there was a, a negative effect that people who use e-cigarettes were um, less likely to quit um, than people who didn't, right? So that's not good, right? But then I think that it's hard to take a lot out of um, observational studies. And so for one thing, right, if you're just trying to quit smoking, you're desperate, you're addicted. You're willing to try anything. And those are the most addicted people, the people who have the most relapse histories, might be the first to take up vaping, right? And so therefore, they could actually be um, uh, just more likely to fail, no matter what they use to, to help themselves or don't use, right? So we don't know. There's confounds, like any correlational study. So what about the RCTs? All right. So there's really one big study, to, at least to my knowledge, uh, of an RCT. It was conducted um, a while ago. Um, and basically what they found was that when they compared placebo e-cigarettes to nicotine e-cigarettes to patches, they're all pretty much the same. Um, cessation rates were pretty low. This is a survival plot. Um, people remaining abstinent. And this is kind of like what you see. It's pretty typical, 20%. Um, but you know, there's no differences. So 
I don't know. I don't know if you can reject the null hypothesis here, but clearly one's not better than the other. And we know that, you know, we prescribe, uh, we tell people to, to take up the patch, right? So, I don't know. But we, unfortunately, there, there's, not, there's not much else. So, so the RCT is one way to do it, and it's really expensive, and it's hard to do for regulatory reasons here in the United States. Um, so, but we did a lab study to kind of test out this, because one of the things with the between subject studies, right, non-randomized and all that stuff is, you know, there's these confounds. So, so we asked the question amongst dual users, we did a crossover design to see whether um, uh, vaping substituted for smoking in the laboratory, did it suppress smoking and withdrawal? So what we had was we had people who got caught, uh, everybody did all the sessions, and some of them were in the vaping condition, some of them were in the smoking condition. They all hadn't smoked overnight or vaped. Um, and then people in this, like on one of the sessions, they vape their own device. On the other, they vape their own cigarette. And then on the other, um, there was a, a match control where they just remained deprived, right? Then we measured uh, withdrawal. We had a lot of different uh, withdrawal measures in this study. So basically, the vaping can be uh, compared to its own control. The smoking could be compared to its own control. Let's see what's better at suppressing withdrawal, right? And let's see, does vaping suppress withdrawal at all? So this is, um, this is a graph, this is a Cohen D's estimate, this is a general effect size estimate for the difference between the uh, uh, vaping condition versus the control condition in terms of, uh, and remaining deprivation condition in terms of um, the magnitude of withdrawal suppression. And so I think like 0.5 is like a medium effect. And this is a small study, this is like pilot study, we had 25 people, right? And so. And then here's the smoking-induced satiation effect, and this for this outcome negative affect. And so essentially, this is like we we use a like pretty liberal significance threshold. We did a uh, p-value of 0.10, but just to give you an idea of like whether it, there's suppression. And then the next question is: Is suppression better for vaping versus smoking, or vice versa? Okay. All right. So uh, all right. So here's urge. So I think this is pretty. Intuitive. So urge to smoke, smoking uh, was much better at suppressing than vaping, but vaping actually suppressed it significantly beyond, you know, the uh, suppression effect was significantly different from zero. Um, urge to vape was pretty equal in terms of whether smoking or, or um, vaping did that. Uh, then there, we had like a withdrawal measure, a composite, you know, didn't seem to be much of an effect for either. Um, in terms of uh, anger, the uh, smoking did better, right? Because when people come in the lab after they haven't smoked overnight, they're like kind of a little irritable and angry. So um, the smoking was better, but the other emotions, not so much. Nicotine craving, we kind of validated what we found for urge to smoke um, in terms of the smoking was better. And then here's some other uh, withdrawal symptoms, which you know are generally uh, less robust and reliable. And um, you know, neither of them, neither of the different types uh, did much suppression there. And then here's some other interesting constructs like your ability to experience pleasure, whether you have a reduced interest in engaging in pleasurable events, and then uh, self-reported impulsivity. And then there you can see that like there's not much going on, um, and there's really no difference, and there's modest uh, suppression for all these outcomes. So it doesn't make vaping look bad or smoking look particularly good. And then here's the physiological. So you'd expect carbon monoxide to be different, right? And then um, in terms of the cardiovascular response, um, in terms of blood pressure, we found that the smoking um, had a greater effect, which is consistent with the idea, potentially, that the nicotine yield was stronger from, from the, uh, the cigarettes. OK, so here's a big uh, comprehensive picture. And then, so not only do we do this, but we also, oops. Uh, after that, the, in the vaping session, we compared the two uh, conditions. They could earn $20 for each minute they would delay smoking, their preferred brand of cigs. So we sit them down, we say, okay, over the next 50 minutes, you can um, smoke whenever you want, but for each five minutes you wait to start smoking, you'll, um, uh, you'll earn 20 cents, right? Um, and so we were interested in whether or not they would make it the whole 50 minutes. 
And then after they either they said they wanted to smoke or the 15 minutes was up for those who waited, they said, okay, well you can purchase cigs. Um, you, these are all your own brand, 20 cents a piece, and just you know over the next 60 minutes. And they're you know they're sequestered in this room, um, so there's not much else to do. Um, <clears throat> but you know an interesting question is whether you know some of these people have been deprived now. It's like going on 16, 17, 18 hours, and then the other people just they just got to vape their device for about like five or ten minutes um, at the beginning when they came in the lab. So, you know, that when they vaped, they were able to wait longer than when they smoked, or then uh, sorry, when they uh, uh, remain abstinent. No smoking in this, except in terms of the outcome, right? And then once uh, once they got the opportunity to smoke, either self-imposed or they waited the 50 minutes. Um, the uh, people who vape, they purchase less cigarettes on average than the people who remained uh, deprived, right? So it's like you're suppressing motivation to initiate and you're suppressing the motivation to continue smoking after um, initiation. So these are you know, trends, but you know, it's a pilot study, consistent finding. I think it's within subject design, right? So um, within, within a person, if you vape, it delays your smoking amongst dual users. Okay, so that's, that's the story uh, so far in terms of uh, vaping and smoking cessation and reduction, right? So, you know, not all answers, but we're, you know, we're moving. Um, is vaping a diversion or a gateway to smoking in youth? Okay, so this is just uh, an example. The uh, adolescence is a vulnerable period for um, most of us for all these reasons, um, but the brain is under construction. So we're more sensitive to external influences, um, social influences, um, our impulse control is not as good, but our reward seeking and reward desire is pretty strong. Um, so it kind of sets up the perfect storm to engage in risky behaviors. So vaping is hashtag trending amongst uh, uh, youth, right? So this was uh, uh, last April when the NYTS, the National Youth Tobacco Survey results came out. It's like everyone was uh, reporting that this is a huge they were shocked on how much e-cigarettes increase in popularity amongst teens. So it gained national attention. And so um, now we have 2015 data, which is cool, but this is the results of that uh, survey, this national survey. And you can see uh, right here that um, e-cigarettes, you see this increase, continued increase. This uh, from 14 to 15 is not significant, right? But overall, this is a, Clicker's not working, but uh, it's a tenfold increase. Um, cigarettes, it's gone down. Hey, that's good, right? Um, it's kind of stayed flat here for the past uh, two years. And then overall, uh, tobacco consumption and poly use has kind of remained flat, right? So there's a reconfiguration of the types of products that people are using. We just don't know. Smoking was headed in the negative direction for so long amongst youth. We don't know. We can't separate out like, hey, did e-cigarettes help people, um, you know, uh, reduce the amount of uh, the smoking incidence amongst youth, or um, is this just part of natural trends? This would have happened anyway, and um, we're just adding on vaping. So that's a, that's another key uh, question to the cancer burden in, in vaping. And so here, I just want to make a point. This is uh, from that same data set that like. So some people will say, oh, well, it's all experimentation. They're just trying it. You know, no one's becoming regular users, these teens, um, who aren't really looking for a harm reduction tool. They're just looking to, uh, um, for a recreational uh, substance. Well, so basically, this is just, amongst the past 30 days, uh, about half of them, just, just amongst the users, had uh, used only once or twice. And the rest of them used on at least a, week, a weekly basis. So it's not all just experimentation. And then I think here I wanted to make the point. There's been a lot of uh, great studies, including um, you know studies by the uh, the cancer control group here, um, showing that amongst non-smokers there's a lot of um, vaping going on, right? 
so this is, I like, a, I want to call this, I call this recreational vaping. I don't know what else you call it, right? But you, you got to distinguish that from vaping for harm reduction purposes. So it's kind of like a different phenomenon. So why do teens like vaping? It's pretty cool, you know? And I already showed you the vape tricks, so of course. <laughs> this is like this pink jeweled, you know? My daughter gets of age, she'll probably want that. She wants everything in pink, she's four, you know? And princess teeth, she likes pinks and sparkles, so. Anyway, um, you can't do that for cigarettes, obviously, now. Um, you can't bedazzle cigarettes. Um, <laughs> we, we have tight regulations on that. So, um, so is vaping a catalyst um, or gateway to smoking? There's a really nice paper. I can encourage anyone who's interested in this issue um, by Schneider and Deal, where they lay out a conceptual model about how vaping could be a gateway to smoking. And they don't really take sides. But they just say like, hey, everyone's talking about this. This term gateway doesn't really, it's not really a scientific term. And they use the term uh, catalyst instead. And they say, here's some testable hypotheses, some research design, people go do this. Um, so I love it. Uh, I love that paper. So first, it needs to draw on a new generation of lower risk youth who never would have been interested in any type of tobacco product anyway if vaping didn't exist, if all they had to choose from was cigarettes and other smokable products. Um, hookah is a different story, so it's hard to fit that one in. But, and then also, once they vape, that has a causal effect, or at least uh, evidence suggesting that they're more likely to start smoking due to the vaping. All right, so let's talk about uh, this. Is it drawing in a new generation of, of youth? So one of the key things is, is that um, vaping has a lot of qualities um, that appeal to a broader audience of youth and adults too that smoking does not have, right? So smoking smells, um, it's bad for your health and bad for your lungs, um, it's not cool. Uh, <clears throat> by contrast, vaping is a lot more socially acceptable and it's believed to be not bad for your health. So this is data um, uh, on a paper led by Jessica Barrington Trimis at the USC Tobacco Center of Regulatory Science. Um, and so basically what we found was that like there's big differences here in this cohort of um, high school students um, in, uh, in uh, Southern California. So sweet flavors, I think that's a key issue, right? Um, so you can see like that there's all this advertisement, there's Skittles brand, Kool-Aid brand, all these things, right? And so um, advertising could potentially play a, a huge role, right? Um, but I think also, even independent of the advertising, you're talking about something that tastes sweet and sugary. Our brain is wired to find these flavors appealing. It could maybe mask the bitterness of nicotine. Um, and we know when we, when we taste strawberry, we have good memories and we connect it to carnivals or whatever. You know, um, So there's a lot of reason why just the sensory experience of, of a, a sweet flavor could be appealing. So, we did a, uh, a laboratory study where we tested the appeal. Um, and we gave people like devices. They didn't know if it had nicotine. They didn't know what flavor it was. Um, but basically, the, to make a long story short, on these markers of appeal, like um, would they use again and how much would they pay for the e-liquid, um, sweet flavors were rated more highly than non-sweet flavors, like tobacco and menthol in comparison to um, uh, uh, a flavorless solution, which most of the people thought were pretty gross. These were young adults. They were e-cigarette users, and most of them had smoked at some point. Um, oops. And then this is just like validation in a, uh, a large study called the Population Assessment of Tobacco and Health Survey. But like all these reasons that teens report um, why they use uh, e-cigarettes. So all those things that they're talking about, all these things that like make it more appealing, more attractive. You can also hide it from your parents, right? Um, you can have, uh, you can have a, your uh, inhaler, right? Because you have asthma. Little do you know, it looks like an inhaler. It's actually my vaporizer. And also, I may be vaping nicotine, I may be, may be vaping flavors, and what I won't get into this talk, but I think it's critical, I might be vaping THC too right in front of you. 
so one of the, the, the issues in terms of like, are, is it recruiting new low-risk youth or moderate-risk youth um, into tobacco product use? One of like a key risk factor for tobacco use uptake is mental health problems and other substance use. So what we did was a basic profiling paper where we compared non-users, e-cigarette only users, um, uh, conventional cigarette only users, and then dual users, which you can't see, but they are the purple e color, um, in a sample of uh, 3,400 LA area um, ninth graders. And this is just ever use, right? And so basically, these are all these different types of mental health symptoms and some other types of interesting constructs like uh, um, distress tolerance is your ability to handle negative affective states. And some people with mental health problems uh, have lower distress tolerance. The, the take home message here is that e-cigarettes were kind of like midway. They're kind of like the non-users, not as, as, as um, uh, high in terms of symptoms as the SIG uh, uh, smokers who only use SIG smokers or who only use SIGs, and then the dual users were kind of like the highest, but not that much different. So you can see that like this is kind of like a moderate risk pr profile for the ones who are just using e-cigarettes. And then um, this is uh, what we call in like psychiatry and psychology externalizing <laughs> symptoms, but like things like mania, um, uh, inhibitory control like impulsivity, alcohol problems, cannabis use, um, you know, other substances, you can see here, then you start to get that really, it spreads out, right? So use of one substance is definitely like a risk factor, a correlate of use of another. And then here, um, again, the e-cig only users were in between the non-users and the smokers only. The dual users didn't look so good, right? So kind of evidence that it's a low risk uh, population. And so like when I was writing this paper up, I'm like, oh, this is a really good idea. But then this paper came out um, conducted by people uh, at the Hawaii Cancer Center and the Cancer Center here, um, showing a very similar pattern, you know, but just using other constructs like rebelliousness, maybe instead of impulsivity. Um, and you know, they didn't have a lot of mental health uh, outcomes, but they had, I think, alcohol and marijuana. Same pattern, right? And I, there's, an, there's been a couple more papers since showing the same thing. So, all right, maybe I'm suggestive evidence that it's generating a, 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 it's, it's bringing in lower risk use. Does it associate with combustible tobacco use risk once they vape? Okay, so we did a study on this um, and uh, <clears throat> it was a study uh, where we want to look at people who were naive to any combustible tobacco product and we just want to compare the ESIG users and the, um, the non-users. And so um, here's the data. A year later, or six months later, and 12 months later, we asked them, "Did you use any of these pro these tobacco products in the previous six months?" Um, and so this compares the baseline e-cig users versus the baseline um, non-users, right? So yeah, the 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 vapors were more likely to have started smoking cigarettes, at least try it once. Cigars, we included blunts in that category, which is why it's so high. Hookah. Here's any product, you know, it's capping at 30%, so it looks really big, but you know, it is pretty big. Um, and then here's uh, two products and three products. That kind of surprised us too, like the poly product use. And then if you look at the 12 month follow-up, you get, we got a pretty similar pattern, no interactions with time. And then, so we, we said like, all right, we got to test this in a prediction model. Let's control for all these confounders, you know? Like maybe the teens who like e-cigarettes are the same teens who like to use other drugs and experiment with stuff. Um, and so we control for all these different factors that are known predictors of smoking. Even things like uh, smoking susceptibility, which uh, we asked them straight out, like, do you think you'll smoke over the next six months? Even controlling for that, we still found um, fairly robust uh, odds ratio estimates. Um, and here's unadjusted adjusted, this is for any product. This is for SIGs only, which is kind of the weaker effect when there wasn't a ton of SIG use in our sample. Um, cigars, hookah, and then this was like a poly tobacco product use outcome, an ordinal logistic regression. So this is the odds of moving one um, product higher. Um, so all very consistent. 
And then, uh, like about four months later, I see this paper conducted by people <laughs> at this group and Brian uh, Premack uh, at Pitt. I'm like, wow, hey, this is cool. It's kind of the same finding, you know, except now our kids were um, 14 to 15. This is 16 to 26 year olds. And I think one of the interesting things about this paper is that, like, they restricted the sample to teens who's, or not teens, to youth who said that they were not interested in smoking. They were non-susceptible. And then, so this is data in press um, by the USCT cores in a paper um, we did led by Jessica Barrington Trimis. Again, finding the same pattern, right? Um, and this is a different sample. And then I think this is, uh, and then kind of following up on that, that Premac et al. paper, we looked at susceptibility and we classified those who are non-susceptible. These are the people who said like, yeah, I'm not gonna smoke, no way. Versus the people who said, oh, I might, or I'm really interested in smoking. And then we actually found an interaction such that like the non-susceptible youth were, the e-cigs mattered, right? And so if the idea is, is you're taking low-risk kids, right, um, who probably wanna smoke, but now you add vaping, maybe that pushes them over the edge, right? Whereas the high-risk kids, you know, we know high-risk kids do high-risk things. So that's one way to interpret it. So, um, all right, let me talk about future directions uh, for, for cancer prevention uh, research and practice. All right, so we need to find out exactly like how toxic are these vapors? That's an essential question. A lot of basic scientists are interested in that. Um, and so uh, one of the things we're doing, we're excited about, my colleague uh, is PI, he's a basic scientist, Hamid Barasatinia. Um, we're gonna do a case control study. We just got funded. And, and he has this really cool marker where he can swab people's um, uh, buckle cells and get uh, markers of DNA damage, which is way early, a very sensitive marker of what potentially could be cancer um, down the road, right? Not all of them are gonna be cancer, um, but you know, in order for us to wait to see whether vaping caused cancer, we need to 30 years worth of data, right? Um, so anyway, so studies like that, I think I'm hearing more and more about, so that'll be really cool. We need way more RCTs, way more. Um, <clears throat> we need to understand like the, the people who benefit from vaping uh, in terms of smoking reduction versus those who don't, and also the products that might be more useful versus those that, that aren't. And then in terms of the gateway, we need to kind of analyze population trends, you know, like is it helping or is it hurting? You know, certainly there's an association between va vaping and onset of smoking, but we don't know whether, like when you look at the overall national figures, smoking is low, we should be proud of that. Um, and so um, here's the NYTS again. You can see that like, yeah, they're kind of going inverse directions. Um, so this is a paper, uh, another paper by uh, the star postdoc, Jessica Barrington-Termas, who I told Jim that you should consider hiring. Um, she's wonderful. And so she, she showed this in pediatrics where in this children's health study, which is like an ongoing cohort for, for a, that's been happening for many, many years, because the NYTS has only been around for five years, right? So we don't have years and years of data. Um, you can see here, basically the, the take home message is that the trends in smoking, at least in Southern California, were going down. And that if you add, if you look at this trend, you can see that like, well, would it have gone down to here? I don't know. But then, so this, these are uh, smokers, these are dual users, and those are e-cig only users. So it's not really much of a difference from 2004 to 2015. And then the total product use it's pretty high, it looks more like, you know, 2001. And so um, we only had SIG data for the first, whatever, 15 years, so they could have been using other products. Um, I'll skip this. All right, so um, yeah, we need to prevent this. Um, not so long ago, you like in, uh, in like a, I don't know, uh, a third of the states, like teens could buy e-cigarettes, right? Um, so in, there's, there's a movement going around to increase the age, um, uh, legal age to purchase tobacco products to 21. In California, we're lumping together um, uh, vaping with the other tobacco products. So that could be helpful. 
Okay, um, and let's see if I have time. Well, I, if we have time at the end, or if those who are interested, I'll show you like a cool um, prevention commercial that the state of California is doing uh, to prevent youth. And okay, so some of y'all are practicing um, health professionals. So should you tell your patients to quit? I don't know, should you? You tell me. No. Quit <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, should you tell your patients to quit via e-cigarettes? Thank you. Um, should you? I mean, of course you tell them to quit, right? But what if they say like, hey, should I use e-cigarettes? So, I don't know. Um, maybe, right? Um, maybe not. But this is, I just think it's really interesting and highlights the debate. This is this like cool paper in the, or a cool article in the Wall Street Journal. They interviewed two leading experts in the nicotine field. They say the exact opposite, right? So there's really no consen consensus, but you know, I think that um, it's a tough one, but for people who've tried so many different ways and have failed on so many different smoking cessation treatments, you know, you might uh, be worth, worthwhile to consider. All right, so to summarize, vaping is and it will impact the cancer burden. The, the quantitative amount and the qualitative way it will, we don't know yet, but we're starting to figure that out. There's potentially a triple-edged sword. It might be acutely toxic. It might help people quit smoking, or it might be bringing in new smokers. And um, you know, we don't have clear answers yet. But I think now the questions that people are asking and the research designs are crystallizing, and I think are be becoming more effective um, in addressing what the population health uh, uh, questions really um, should be. So let me acknowledge uh, great collaborators. Um, uh, in terms of the work that I presented and the USC uh, Tobacco Center of Regulatory Science. And um, I feel embarrassed now that I don't have our Cancer Center logo, um, but everything we do is connected with the Cancer Center. Um, so of course I should acknowledge them and then funding from NIDA and NCI. Thank you and happy to take questions. We have about seven, eight minutes for questions. One of, the, one of the things that you showed in that um, unpublished data is that the odds ratio is about nine for the non-susceptible, never smokers to go smoking mm -hmm. when you look at it prospectively. And, and, and I wonder if you think that might answer a question that I had was that, you know, when we looked at the non-susceptible, never smokers, we got an odds ratio about 8.5. Mm -hmm. And it was much higher than the odds ratio that you got in your original JAMA. Mm -hmm. but you, I think it might be because we started with non-susceptible never smokers. We mm -hmm. started with an ultra low risk group right. and looked at, so it's not an inconsistent finding. No, it, findings. it's consistent and you know, different groups. I had you know, ninth graders, and, but um, I mean, if I had time, we'd do the analysis to replicate it and look at it to see if there's an interaction. Um, so if anyone's interested in collaborating on a paper and has some time, you know, we, can, we can look at that. But no, I don't think it's inconsistent. And actually, it would be interesting to show if the non-susceptible or the susceptible um, youth like have a significant but smaller odds ratio, like two or something. Mm -hmm. But yeah, good point. Yeah. You put the uh, vapor that comes out of these things uh, through a mass spec. Is it really just nothing in it but nicotine? No. And actually, I forgot to explain that. That like they um, almost all e-juices have like a vehicle. It's either vegetable glycerin or propylene glycol or some sort of mixture of the two, um, which is necessary uh, because when it's heated with the device, then it becomes it, the aerosol or what the uh, people call vapor. Um, it's not just nicotine and water. It's that, plus it's also, it's also the additives, so the flavorings. And some of the compounds in the flavorings could be toxic based on stuff we already know. Like diacetyl has been linked with lung disease, and it, but it creates this buttery uh, texture um, in, in your mouth. So it tastes really good when you vape it. But, um, and it's safe to eat, but it's not safe necessarily to inhale. We know from uh, factory workers um, and popcorn plants, you know, um, where th this chemical was in the air, and they all developed this uh, rare lung disease. So the, I think it's like the additives are probably pretty bad in the extent to which um, the how much you heat up the device is critical 
because that's going to change the chemical reaction. Because what, what is in liquid form and what it is in um, aerosol form is not equal, you know? And also can vary from device to device and setting to setting. So we're actually going to give e-cigarettes to cancer patients that smoke. So before we did that, I kind of thought it was important to get an ingredients list on the e-juice. And so I can't tell you what's in the ingredients list because I signed a non-disclosure agreement, but I can tell you it's not just nicotine, propylene, glycol, and flavorings. There's other stuff in there. There's <coughs> chemical agents in there. Yeah. I, I have like a kind of a question you should never ask. But, um, sure, I like those. What about benefits of nicotine? I mean, are there, yeah. you know, this is kind of a cost-benefit analysis mm -hmm. that we're being asked as a society at some level to perform. And, mm -hmm. um, if you are, you know, we know that smoke, ex-smokers have negative affectors associated with that, but mm -hmm. like long-term, I mean, it's a it's a great question, um, and yeah, you can't just say like nicotine is just the only applications are all negative. It's just it's purely a drug of abuse. You know, we also know methamphetamine and deamphetamine has therapeutic purposes in some settings, and also it has um, it's it's a drug of abuse in other settings. Um, I don't want to compare nicotine to, to methamphetamine, but um, potentially, you know? Um, I think that, uh, so your question was about, I, you mentioned negative affect, and I do want to dispel a myth in that. There were some early reports, like 10 or so years ago, that smokers who quit, if they were prone to depression, they were more likely to have a relapse. You know, which means that, oh, you took away what they were self-medicating. But there's been a lot of studies since then. And we did um, a nice study. Uh, the um, lead author was Chris Kaler, where we looked at like a within-subject model using, um, uh, you know, a statistical modeling strategy. And we showed that the people who quit, actually, their depressive symptoms got better. So what I think is like there's an acute phase, and once your brain detox from it, you're way better rather than up and down, up and down nicotine levels. You know, whether like we want to start like throwing the patch on people forever, you know, is a different story. And you know, certainly in cognitive enhancing effects is something to consider um, too, right? Amongst patients with uh, severe mental illness. So I don't know, but yeah, this is a great question. Oh, totally. Yeah, that, that's robust. Yeah, Samir. I noticed uh, the flavoring was Kool-Aid for the second L. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sadly, I know the Kool-Aid drink. Only yeah. One. Yeah. Is there, do you know if there's, a, if there's any litigation from, say, companies that make, I don't know who makes Kool-Aid. Yeah, yeah, right. Kool-Aid makes Kool-Aid. Yeah. Litigation of using the name in, in its likeness. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Not that I know of, but like I haven't done a lot of research on that. I mean, you know, the other one I showed was Cloud Savers. It's Lifesaver. It's a, you know, there's so many that are just like takes off of candy or other types of product, um, and people like that. You know, it's part of the appeal. Um, so, but I don't know. That's a really interesting question to see to what effect that's going to have. I'm sure there's probably some lawsuits going on somewhere, right? Um, Red Hot Sue to protect your name. Oh, they did? According to my colleague in Boston, he's a lawyer. Okay. Red Hot Sue. Interesting. Yeah. There you go. Alan, yeah. Alan, we should have a ton of data, so I may have missed this, but mm -hmm. maybe not. But very fascinating. Is there, a, have any of your survey studies or anybody else's sort of differential uptake across vulnerable groups? like? Substance users, cannabis users, different psychiatric populations. Um, uptake of e-cigarettes. Yeah. Okay, and so not the transition from e-cigs to cigs, but like the up, like yeah. I mean, essentially, we did in the sense that just doing the cross-sectional analysis in teens, that if you'd if you'd ever use e-cigarettes, your mental health and your substance use patterns were moderately worse than if you hadn't. Right? 
And so, and you know, we can't say cross, you know, it's cross-sectional causality and all that stuff. Um, but you know, one way to interpret the data is that the people who like are doing a little risky behaviors, um, they're more likely to, to do e-cigarettes and nothing else. And then, but the people who are doing a lot of risky behaviors and all these other types of comorbid conditions are very likely to have tried both by the time they're a teen. So yeah, essentially it is. The vulnerable populations are more likely to uptake, but it's not the same exact configuration. Those to, teen samples, yeah. any adult samples? Um, you know, yeah, I've, I remember I saw one paper uh, by Mark Myers um, in tobacco control where basically they showed like, yeah, you know, people are using them uh, with mental health problems, you know, but I, I assume that people will be doing that with these national data sets hopefully soon, or PATH, you know, to show like what's in adults as their differential uptake. Great question. I want to thank you for uh, Sorry. coming all the way out here in a snowstorm. Is there one other question? Oh, yeah, there are a couple of pops up, but whatever. I was wondering if, so Hawaii raised the smoking age to 21. Did they include e-cigarettes in their legislation? I, you know, I don't know. That's a great question. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, Samir shaking his head. So that's good. I I, oh, you don't know? Okay. Because he would know better than me, you know? But um, yeah, that's a great question. We should look that up. And in terms of, there's a lot of cities have changed um, all over the nation. And so it'd be interesting to look at um, the proportion who made the change and included uh, e-cigarettes. So, so is it an exciting thing for you, or are you a little bit worried that you came out in the middle of a blizzard? Oh, you know what? I have to drive to Boston, <laughs> and like, uh, you know. It's going to be an exciting drive, right? You're a Southern California driver, right? Really? Is it how bad is it? Because I haven't been out. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah, like studded snow tires. No. It's it's a Kia. It's a Kia Optima. Thank you very much for coming. Yeah. Thank, thank you all for your attention. It was a pleasure.